We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Actually, we're going to do something crazy. We're going to do Judges 4 and 5 today. Chuck Smith, when he's taught this portion, he did Judges 1 through 7. Can you believe that? Back then, did you guys know this? Okay, they did Bible studies for an hour and a half. An hour and a half. You know, I started getting little signals at 45 minutes, you know. I went up in here and there. <laughs> but no, you guys are actually pretty good. But look what we read here in Judges chapter 4. It says in verse 1, When Ehud, that was the previous uh, judge, was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth, Haggaiah. Again, we read that verse 1, when this guy Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, one word you'll find again and again in the book of Judges is the word again. <laughs> you know, you'll see that. Uh, we saw it last week. If you want to look over at chapter 3, verse 12, it says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. If you go over to Judges chapter 8, notice what it says in Judges 8, verse 33. It says here that the so it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal beareth their God. If you go over to Judges chapter 10, notice what it says here in verse 6. It says, Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you'll never guess what you'll read over in Judges 13, verse 1. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, the psalmist, in writing about the history of Israel, said in Psalm 78, verse 41, Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. You know, when you read the book of Judges, it's a very sad cycle in which Israel repeatedly falls into disobedience. And that life of just disobedience will always lead to defeat and discipline which hopefully will get your attention, lead you to despair and cry out to the Lord who will deliver you. I was talking to someone the other day though and I was telling them though, you got to repent. You got to repent. Don't just come to church. You got to repent of your sins. And when you cry out to God and you repent of your sins and God will meet you there. But if you don't repent, God's not going to meet you there and you will die in your sins. You will be defeated. You can't play games with God. You see, we're not here to try to impress anybody. We're not here to try to, you know, get from the church. We're here because we want a right relationship with God. And so what we see here is that the children of Israel, they, we learn from them. I hope that we learn from their mistakes. I've told you guys many times, you know, hopefully we learn the easy way. The easy way is what? Read the Bible. That's the easy way, Right? Uh, another way you can learn is you can learn from others' mistakes. That's kind of an easy way, even though you hate to see them go through that. Another way is you go through it yourself. And so when you mess up, hopefully you learn, right? That's kind of learning the hard way. 
But then there's those who never learn. I pray that we would learn from their mistakes in which we see this very sad cycle. Israel was not faithful, but thankfully God was. You know, I hope that you guys really appreciate the God that you have. I I know I do. I, I mess up, man. I'm so grateful that God is gracious. We need to be very grateful that the Bible teaches this, that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God did not forsake Israel, did he? God did not forsake them, even though he dealt with them, and even though they disobeyed, he disciplined them. They were his people. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Thank you, Lord. And yet at the same time, if you continue reading there in Romans 6, 1 through 2, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You know, as a Christian, hate sin. Because of what it does to God. Because of what it does to you. Because of what it does to the people around you. To the church. To the world. You know, when you live in obedience to God, it's so cool what God does. I've told you guys many times, we use His grace, but please do not abuse His grace. If we do abuse God's grace, we limit the Lord. That's what Psalm 78 verse 41 says. You don't want to limit the Lord, do you? Don't you want God to do great things in your life? through you and, you know, to change the world, touch your children, your parents, your friends. I know you do. You want to see God do wonders. Well, when we live in sin, we limit the Lord from those things. But here again, we see the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so what ends up happening? The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin. This is the king of Canaan and says that he reigned in Hazor. Now we read here in verse 2 that the commander of his army was a guy named Sisera who dwelt in Harasheth Hagoyim. And we read here that the children of Israel cried out because Jabin had 900 chariots of iron and he harshly oppressed them. Think about this for 20 years. The Hebrew word translated harshly, it speaks of force, might, strength and violence. To oppress is to press, to squeeze, to crush. And that's exactly what sin does to us. It presses us, it stresses us, it oppresses us, it distresses us. And so we read, that was their condition. But look what we read next in verse 4. It says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now here we read about Deborah. I'm sure you've heard of her. She's identified as a prophetess who was judging Israel at this time. Now she's not the first prophetess mentioned in the Bible. We read earlier in the book of Exodus 15.20. Does anybody remember Moses' sister, what her name was? Miriam, right? We also read of Huldah in 2 Kings 22.14. And in Second Chronicles 34.22, in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, there is this godly woman named Anna. And the Bible says that she was a prophetess. And as a matter of fact, we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Later we read in Acts 21 verse 9 about Philip's four daughters 
who prophesied. And so, you know, in reading the Bible, it is important for us to know that, you know, women can be prophets. Um, but not only is Deborah a prophet, this is a little different here. Now she's a judge. We read that here. And, and so in looking at that, apparently this was the thing that was going on. Apparently Israel was in such a backslidden condition that there was no male leadership in the land. At which point God raised up, God found actually Deborah. You know, some might point to Deborah and say, See, Manny, it's okay to have a woman for a pastor. It's okay to have a woman for a president, right? But what they do is they neglect the context of Israel, right? In their position, they were carnal as a country. Not only that, when people say things like that, they ignore the Bible. First Timothy 2, verse 12, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. That's what the Bible says. So we need to be so careful. Again, I think I've shared with you guys many times, you know, I'll be the first to admit that women are better. <laughs> uh, if I could just say that, women are absolutely amazing. And if it was up to me, I would see the logic of letting the woman lead. But that's not God's spiritual structure. That's just the bottom line. And unless there is absolutely no man in sight who'd be willing to lead, then we see God then makes an exception. Tragically, as an illustration of the day, this was the case, the condition of Israel in Judges chapter 4. But Deborah turned out to be an awesome woman. And we're going to see today a lot of different things going through Judges, how God can use anybody. It doesn't matter if you're poor or you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter. If we are surrendered vessels, it doesn't matter. God will use our life. He really will. We have to be surrendered though, absolutely surrendered. And so we see here in verse 6, it says, And then she, speaking of Deborah, sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hands. So Deborah says, hey, here's the condition of our country. She's obviously got a personal relationship with God. And God speaks to her. And God tells her, I want you to call this guy, you know, Barak. I want you to call him because I'm going to give my people victory. And, and it's so cool when the leaders hear from the Lord. You know, that's the best thing about a leader. You know, it doesn't matter if he has charisma, type A personality, aggressive. That's not important. You know, it doesn't matter if he's got the degree from the seminary. The main thing about a leader in the kingdom of God is does he have a personal relationship with God? And does he hear the Lord? Because the only way Deborah would know this is if she heard from God. And that goes not only for leaders, that goes for all of us here. What's God been saying to you? You know, I've told you many times that, you know, I should be able to come up to you at any point in your life and I should be able to ask you, what's the Lord been ministering to you lately? And you should be able to tell me the personal message that God has been speaking to you 
Because God is a personal God. But it takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes discipline. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. There are no excuses. I know we think, oh, well, I don't know. The Lord knows my situation. He knows I can't pray, you know. He knows I can't spend time with Him. Uh, it doesn't matter, man. You've got to find a way. I remember when I used to work at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd go every day. I woke up. I had to wake up. I could not face the day without spending time with God. See, Deborah heard from the Lord. And that's really the best element of a leader is he's a good follower of Jesus Christ. And so what she did was she called Barak. She gave him the marching orders from the Lord. She said, you need to gather 10,000 troops from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. There at Mount Tabor, God said. And the enemy and all his 900 chariots. Think about this. This is kind of like 900 you know, tanks or 900 jet fighters. I mean, these are like you know, crazy chariots. He says, they're going to come against you. But I will deliver you. So what's your chariots? What is it that God wants you to conquer? Who is it? You know, maybe it's yourself. Maybe there's things going on in your marriage. And you pretty much have lost hope for your marriage. That it'll ever be what God wants it to be. It may be a child. It could be, you know, a physical need, an emotional need. It could be a spiritual situation in which, you know, when you really, you know, look at it deep down in your heart, you don't believe. You don't really believe that God can conquer that, that God can bring you through that. And if you don't believe, then you won't. You see, the Bible says that God could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. And that's why we read stories like this, so that we would have faith. God can show us what He can do, even if there's 900 chariots that are coming against you. And so Deborah says to Barak, I want you to come, and I want you to go, and God's going to use you as a general of the army of Israel. But look what happens in verse 8. It says, And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I guess she knew Kung Fu San Su or something like that, right? (laughs) So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak's faith wasn't perfect, but he was willing to go. As a matter of fact, we'll see later. My son reminded me, hey, Dad, Barak is in the Hall of Faith, huh? Hebrews 11. I'm like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> Just got to read it every once in a while, right? But here we see that the, his faith wasn't perfect. I'll go if you go with me, Deborah. And I have a feeling that, you know, if I could just say this, Deborah was a godly woman. And he just knew, everybody knew, man, she's got a real, real tight relationship with God. And, and so he said, you know what, you've got to go with me. And so she says, okay. God says, okay, your faith is a little weak. You know, and the way that it's all going to work out is I'm going to give him, this guy, Sisera, into the hands of a woman. You know, one of the things that we're going to see in the book of Judges is how God can use anyone. 
You know, if you go over to Judges chapter 6, we might be here next week. We'll see. But look at Judges chapter 6. You guys remember the story of Gideon, right? Gideon. It says when we read here in Judges 6, verse 15, So he said to him, this is Gideon speaking, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You know, Gideon, and the Lord uses these different people, Ehud. We read about Ehud last week. He was left-handed. Now, in the biblical context, what it literally says is he was handicapped in his right arm. And so God says, I can use a handicapped guy. You know, I can use this guy who's in the weakest clan, and you're using the weakest guy in the clan. In other words, I can use you. I can use anybody's life. You know, Gideon says, Lord, how can this be? And the answer is there in verse 16. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. That, that's all we need. I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. You see, the Lord is with us. You know, and he's just looking for those who believe that. I mean, do you believe God is in your corner? Do you believe God is carrying you? Do you believe that God is able? I mean, I know you do, but sometimes I think, you know, you're like uh, Stephen Chris Chapman, he has a really cool song. He says, Lord, you know, I believe that you can do all things, but I don't know about me, Lord. But when the Lord is with us, we can. We're going to see tonight that God will use a woman to bring salvation to a nation. You know, God can do that. And so we read here, look what it says in verse 9 again. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command And Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera, remember he's the leader of the opposing army, Jabin's army, that Barak, the son of Abanoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. And so Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagayim to the river Kishon. Here we see the armies of Israel led by Barak and Deborah. They gathered together at Mount Tabor. And so Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, he gets word. And so he gathers his army and his 900 chariots And they're somewhere near the river Kishon. It's one of the biggest rivers, if not the biggest river in Israel today. And so they're there and they're ready to rumble. I think we have a map right here, um, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if you guys can see this, but when I was reading through the study, chapter 4 and chapter 5, I was just going over all this geography. And I thought, wow, you know, it would be cool to look at least a little bit at a map. Um, there in Bethel Ramah was where Deb- Deborah was. She re- was in between those places under a tree called Deborah. It's kind of funny, okay? And she sh- she goes up about 60 miles. So it's not an easy trip for her. 
You know, she doesn't just hop in the car, you know. It's a long, it's a long journey, but it's the calling of God in her life, right? And they go up and, uh, and Kadesh, that's where um, Barak was from. And there you see Mount Tabor is listed. You guys see that right there with the little cross? So that's where Naphtali and Zebulun, those tribes, 10,000, and there's a few more, they gather together and they meet there at Tabor. Well, way over on the other side, you see Harasheth Hagoyim. That's where Sisera is from. And you see the Kishon River there. If you guys go online, you can still look up the Kishon River. Huge river. They say the biggest river in Israel. Um, I'm not sure about that. But anyways, that's where they were gathering. So they're gathering there by the Kishon River. And these guys are up there at Mount Tabor. And, and now they're ready. They're ready to fight. They're going to fight in this place called Jezreel, also known as the Valley of Megiddo. And we know that, from what I understand, it's the greatest place to fight. It's just crazy. That's where the last battle will be there in Israel. But anyways, as they're there, they're gathered together. Look what we read next in verse 14. It says, Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. Now here we read in verse 14, Deborah's faith, her words of encouragement. Um, she says right there in verse 14, up, you know. Um, and, and I think that that right there was a word to strengthen Barak, who then led the nation to an absolutely amazing victory. I mean, it's just impossible. Impossible. How do these guys that have no weapons, we're going to see that later, how do they win against this great army with 900 chariots? How do they win? Well, it's only the Lord, right? That's the only hope. Uh, One translation, the New English translation, renders it, spring into action, go. Has the Lord not taken the lead? You know, and when you think about this, Um, I don't know what you're facing in your life, but we do face things. You know, I know for me, even as 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 a husband, married, kids, there's things there that happen, you know, because I want the Lord to have full victory in my marriage and with my children. I want them to serve the Lord with everything that I am. You know, I think even of being able to be in the ministry and here we are, you know, we're praying as a building, Lord, do you want us to get this building over here? You know, and it doesn't make any sense because there's no dollars and cents, right? <laughs> but then the Lord just says, well, where's your faith? If, if you're waiting for all the numbers to add up, then you are not walking by faith. Now, I'm not talking about being foolish. That's different, you know. But I'm talking about following the Lord. You know, and you look through church history and you find that God honors what? God honors, honors steps of faith. But we need to have that faith in order to get that victory. And so here's the, the moment. There you are with your 10,000, you know, guys. It may sound like a lot, but you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands coming against you. You've got 900 chariots. And God says, okay, it's time. Go. Go. And you've got to decide whether or not you're going to take that step of faith or not. You see, and that's what Barak did. With the prophecy and the encouragement of Deborah, I believe God used her in a great way. He sprung into action. He had faith, and that's why he's in 
the hall of faith. He trusted her word. I believe he trusted her relationship with God. And he really believed that the Lord was leading her. And if the Lord was leading her to lead them into battle, he had faith. He had faith ultimately in the Lord. You know, when you look at this right here, it's amazing. Look what again it says in verse 15. And the Lord routed to Sarah all his chariots, all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. It's amazing. If you keep reading right here in verse 16, Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagayim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Not a man was left. Except one man, right? We read that here in verse 15. It says, And Sisera alighted from his chariot, and he fled away on foot. And so they had the whole army defeated except Sisera. Now, if you're not wise, you're like, okay, well, we'll let him go. It's no big deal. It's just one man. But that one man is Sisera. That one man is the leader. That one man is the shepherd of the enemy. That one man is, uh, you know, Gaddafi. That one man is uh, Bin Laden. That one man is vital for victory. See? And so what ends up happening? The Lord gives them into their hands. We read next in verse 15. Again, and Sisera alighted from his chariot, fled away on foot. Verse 17. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. And then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And so she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say, No. So Joel, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down and into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Crazy, huh? Book of Judges is weird, man. <laughs> but it's, it's life and it's true. And this is what happened. We see the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. The only one, however, was Sisera, who abandoned his chariot and fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because supposedly there was peace, right? And so there you can picture Jael. She goes out there to meet him. and She says, hey, turn here. You know, and he goes in and he thinks everything's cool. He asked for some warm milk maybe, you know, some chocolate milk, I don't know. She brought him some. There he is, he lies down. You know how some of the ladies are, take care of you, cover him with a nice little blanket, right? She's probably so dainty and all these things, you know. <laughs> and he went to sleep. The, the One translation says he was just so exhausted, right? And then what does she do? She goes and she gets a, you know, a, a tent peg, you know, and she gets a hammer, Boom, you know, boom. And she nails them to the ground, right? Um, interesting. Now, from what I understand, today if you go to Israel and you check out where the Bedouins are, you'll see all their different tents. Did you guys know that the ladies are the ones that set up the tents? 
That, that's from what I understand. That's what Pastor Chuck said. He said, the ladies set up the tents. And I was thinking about going camping. I'm saying, hey, Shelly, set up the tent, you know? <laughs> it's funny because we would never visualize it that way. But that's the way it was. Hence, she's good with a hammer, man. You know, she's good with that, you know, boom, to hit him square right there into the temple and to kill him. It's fairly obvious that she felt comfortable with these tools. Somehow, we don't know how, but somehow Jael herself was in the hand of the Lord as God used her to eliminate the enemy and subdue Sisera. You know, and, you know, there's so much there. I think her faith is beautiful. I always tell you guys, do not pet your sin kill your sin you know don't show it any mercy whatsoever because i know for some of us here we'd be like oh poor recito you know so he you know they killed everybody else but the lord says no don't be that way and so as she takes care of this right here it says in verse 22 then as barak pursued sisera jail came out to meet him and said to him come i will show you the man whom you seek and when he went into her tent there lay sisera dead with the peg in his temple and so on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel, it grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they, now it's plural, they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And the unique thing about this, I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but it's kind of cool how, you know, Deborah rises up, God uses her, you know, Barak gets stirred up, God uses him, um, Jael gets stirred up, God uses her, but then it's like the whole nation began to catch the vision, you know, and it says that Israel, they just grew stronger and stronger. And that's kind of the way that we want it to work, you know. What ended up happening was they subdued. One translation says they humiliated Jabin, king of Canaan. And they never had to deal with them again. God totally got rid of them. Here we see you smite the shepherd, you scatter the sheep. Sisera is slain and the hand of the children of Israel grows stronger. What a victory, huh? A victory that's available to all of us. You know, we don't just read this for information. Oh, that's what happened in history. We root it for transformation, right, in our life. Some of you here are trying to dig yourself out of a hole, right? And because, you know, you're getting buried. But God will help you dig yourself out of that hole. God will pull you up out of the pit. Some of you here are being called to conquer that mountain. Go forward. There's more for you in life. Without the Lord, you know, there's no way. It's too steep. It's too high. It's too cold. It's impossible. But see, you know, we've we got to make sure, you guys, that we are a real church. We're a New Testament church that has the faith that we need to have. You know, we can't just function on whatever seems logical. You know, whatever, you know, man can do. Man, what about the Lord? And I really believe that when you're in the Word and you're in prayer, God will give you faith. And then when you pray and you see prayers answered, God will give you more faith called faith builders. And when you go through the trials and you see God's faithfulness, there's even more faith. But now we're accountable. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember one time this guy prayed, Lord, save the whole wide world. You know, and every once in a while I'll get an email from this one brother. He always encourages me. Until the whole world hears. 
If that's not our heart, if we don't want to, to win the whole world for Jesus, then something's wrong. And you're like, oh man, you know what? Not everybody's going to come to the Lord. I know that. I understand that. Not everybody's going to get saved. But I'm going to die trying to reach the whole world for Jesus. We've got to have faith. You know, a guy came in today. He's uh, from Cameroon. He's doing his schooling here. He's going to go back to Africa. He's going to go back to Cameroon. And I was just thinking, Lord, I think I want to go there. Is it okay if I go to Cameroon? And God says, well, you went to Cambodia, right? And go to Cambodia, I'll take you anywhere with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we've got work to do here, but man, we have to follow the Lord. We've got to make sure that we don't limit the Lord through our unbelief. We don't quench the Holy Spirit. The Lord is real. God gave them a great victory. You know, and I think God wants us to have the same type of faith, no matter what the situation is before us. Remember, when God is in the equation, it doesn't matter the situation. I just want to encourage you to walk with God, one foot in front of the other, and both eyes on Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting in looking at this. We're going to get into chapter 5. Deborah and Barak, they sing a song. It kind of reminds me of Moses' song after the victory of Israel over the Egyptian army. And there's a couple of parallels here. Um, when we look at the time in the Old Testament in Exodus, Miriam was a prophetess. Here we see Deborah was a prophetess. There in Exodus, we see God used the Red Sea to defeat Pharaoh's army. Here we're going to see God uses the Kishon River to defeat Jamin's army as well. Look what it says in verse 2. And then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day. Now, do you think they are part of the music ministry? Probably not. You know, I don't think so. It says right here in verse 2, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Have you ever been so happy that you just, you know, couldn't help but singing. Have you ever done that? And I'm not talking about those of you who are involved in the music ministry. You know, I'm talking about just, uh, man, where the Lord just does such a great work um, that you sing. You know, I remember when we were in Cambodia, I remember the joy of those who worship the Lord through song. And I'm telling you this, I think we're missing that here. I don't know what we, we got to do, man. You know, we got to have that joy. We got to have that understanding of what God has done. You know, I remember one time, because I will usually do is I'll put on my earphones and I'll blast the praise music so I can't hear myself, right? <laughs> and then I just sing out all that I am, hands lifted on my face. I do it in my garage usually, you know. And then the Lord is ministering to me, well, you got to start doing that stuff in, in, in public as well. You know, there's certain denominations that when you go to a funeral, they don't sing any slow, sad songs like we do. They're rejoicing. Why? Because in all reality, this person's in heaven, you know, when they know the Lord. But we, you know, I think a lot of times we miss that. I pray, and I love it. I remember when my kids were small, they used to hum. I used to love to hear them hum. And a lot of times I'll hear my wife singing. I just love to hear her singing, worshiping the Lord. And I just think, and if that's how I am, how much more does God want us to sing a song as God has delivered us? You know, I think of this right here. And to me, it sounds kind of funny that they would pray simply for the fact that leaders were leading. Here in verse 2, notice it says, when leaders lead in Israel, 
When the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord, you know? You know, I mean, it's a trip. Why would they sing about leaders leading? Because leaders don't always lead, huh? When you really see leaders lead, God does great, great works, right? I mean, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, isn't that what leaders are supposed to do? Yes, but many times they don't. You know, we're living in a time like that in our nation, man. We're, you know, things are going downhill. And that's why Warren Wiersbe said, you can always tell when the sun is setting because small men cast long shadows. Where's the men of integrity? Where's the men of faith? See, right here they were blessed when their leaders led. Of course, we know this means going out to war, taking responsibility. But I like what it says right here. Notice the heart of leadership. Look again at verse 2. When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. You know, we see the same thing. If you go over to verse 9, my heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people, bless the Lord. You see, that's what leadership is. It's when you give your life to God. You know, I think of Isaiah chapter 6. Remember the story there when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up? You know, an amazing thing. He was aware of his own sin. He said, I'm dead. God says, okay, let me take some of this coals from the altar. I want to cleanse you of your sin. And then when that happens, now, you know, the Lord says, okay, who shall I send? Who will go for us? A conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. A leader who willingly offered himself to the Lord. Right? I'm sure you've heard that story. I don't really know for sure exactly how it goes. But about that time they were passing around the offering bucket. And with the Indian, when the Indian got the offering bucket, he put it down the floor and he stepped inside. <laughs> I don't got any money, but I'll tell you what, I'll give my life. And that's the way it works for us, you guys. If you give anything less, it's not going to work. You will not be an effective leader, follower of Jesus Christ. You have to give everything. I was talking to a guy today, he came in. This is a sad, sad story, man. This guy was telling me about, you know, this situation that's going on. He's trying to purchase a house and, you know, but someone's kind of getting in the way and he's telling me, you know, but, you know, whatever happens, happens. You know, it's, uh, I just want the will of God. And I said, you want the will of God? You want the will of God? You have left your wife. It's been three years now. Don't tell me you want the will of God. See, you've got to want the will of God in every area of your life. That's the way it has to be. That's the way it is for us as leaders. You can't pick and choose. When the leaders lead by willingly offering themselves, bless the Lord. That's what Denver said, right? The NET puts it this way. When the people answered the call to war. And my friends, we're in a war. Don't take yourself out of the battle. We're in a war. We all need to be involved. We read here that God is the one who subdues the enemies. It says that, here in our text, man, it's so cool. Verse 23, so on that day, God subdued Jabin, right? But he's looking for people to use. 
can't get around that. Salvation and service, they go together. The family and the flock, I pray for them all the time. It's not about our ability, but it's about our availability. God can use any vessel as long as it's completely surrendered to Him. And so in reading this song right here, I was thinking we should have Erlen come up and sing it, huh? Imagine. Why would they do a song? Why would they do a song? I know most of you probably know this, right? Because you go through your history lessons and everybody forgets it. How many of you here remember history? Some of you, if you're super smart, you do. But most of you here, you're, you don't, man. You know? But when you sing a song about it, when you make a song about it, then you remember it, huh? Because you remember those songs. And that's what they did in Exodus 15, right here in Judges chapter 5. They wanted the people to remember what God had done, so they sang this song. You know, we even learned our ABCs that way, right? A, B, C, D. Verse 4. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water, the mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. Here, um, Deborah, we're going to see ultimately this is Deborah's song. Even though we know Barak is singing with her, ultimately it's Deborah's song. And she goes back to the beginning. There, look at Mount Sinai. When God kind of met him there. You can picture him coming from Edom. There he's meeting them at Mount Sinai. You know, that God would begin the work. And, and God, I believe, will finish the work. In your life, what's your Mount Sinai? What's your beginning? Do you remember how it all started? Let that be fresh. You know, sometimes when I spend time with the Lord and I'm praying and I said, Lord, of all men, of all men, I have no excuse for any reservation or hesitation in my life. Because I remember like it was yesterday, the day that I was saved. I remember who I was and what you did on that day. And I think sometimes the reason that we're not where we should be is because we have forgotten what God has done. And so Deborah here, she goes back to the beginning to when Israel got saved. And, 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 and then she says in verse 6, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel. And, and when she goes now, she fast forwards now to the way life is. When you're living with the oppression of King Jabin, the king of Canaan, you know, you can't even go out on the streets. What had happened now, no one can go into villages. Everybody's now in a walled town. It's an awful place to be. It's an awful place to be. But then God began to raise up Deborah, verse 7. Until I arose, uh, Deborah, a, a mother in Israel. We'll come back to that. They chose new gods. This is Israel. There, there was war in the gates. Not a shield. This is what I was speaking about earlier. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. In verse 10. Speak you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road... Now, those who ride on white donkeys, those would be the nobles that were wealthy. If you had a nice white donkey, it was like, oh, he's got some nice wheels, you know. <laughs> and so, but what he's saying, we're going to see basically ends up happening is that these guys were used to recruit soldiers. 
They were recruiting soldiers from Zebulun and Naphtali. And it's kind of cool. That's kind of what we're doing. You know, I heard a study the other day. It was kind of cool the way that individual said it. They said, uh, it was Xavier, he said, it's like a lot of times we're like in, you know, watching a football game, man. And you've got, uh, what, how many guys on the field? 11 guys on the field, d- desperately in need of, of rest. And you've got 40,000 people on the sidelines, desperately in need of exercise, right? <laughs> and that's the way the church is a lot of times. Although this church, I have to admit, is a little different. We've got a lot of servants here. But, um, you know, to really be involved. And so they're recruiting soldiers, these nobles. It's kind of cool. And we're going to see more. It says in verse 11, Far from the noise of the archers among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. And then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, sing a song. You know, maybe some of you need to wake up. Wake up. You know, you're sleeping. Wake up. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down. Now, the survivors here should be translated the remnant. The remnant, they marched down. The peoples against the nobles. That's warriors. The Lord came down for me against the the mighty warriors. And so the remnant, they're gathering the soldiers. The remnant, those people that want to fight, they're gathering together to march against the mighty warriors. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples. From Makur, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. See the word recruiters right there? That's what I'm talking about. They were gathering the soldiers together, right? They were saying, hey, you want to get involved in sound ministry? Hey, you want to get involved in children's ministry? Hey, you want to go to the missions trip? They're gathering people together, right, to serve the Lord. It says right there, And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, as Issachar so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, however, it says, there were great resolves of heart. We're going to see that Reuben, he thought about it. Hmm, should I get involved? And look what ends up happening. Verse 16, Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. You know, Reuben... Gilead is really Manasseh, Dan, Asher. They didn't answer the call. There were those Christians or those people who just kicked it and they did nothing. But then you have those who are different. Zebulun, verse 18, is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought and the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O my soul, march on in strength. Now remember we talked about this river right here, the river Kishon. It's a big river. Apparently somehow in the battle, the Lord you know, just overflowed these riverbanks to the point where the chariots, which were supposed to be an asset, became a liability. And God used that to defeat the army. But don't you love what Deborah says right there? 
in looking at this whole thing of what God has done, she says right there, Oh, my soul, march on in strength. That's beautiful. You should circle that. You should underline that. You should get a tattoo right now. I'm just with you. No, don't, I don't want to make you guys stumble. That is an awesome thing, though, man. It says, And the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds, Curse Maraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse his inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Now, now Maraz is an interesting thing. It, it literally means shirk. They shirked their responsibility. Interesting, huh? Now, another interesting thing is Maraz was from the same tribe that Barak was from. And so right in the thick of things, man, right there, they shirked and neglected their responsibility. It's the Lord just speaking about how, you know, we need to get involved, how we need to serve the Lord. It says in verse 24, Most blessed among women is Jael. Why? Because she's, you know, got nice hair? <laughs> no. The wife of Heber, the Kenite, blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water, she gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched out her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. And that takes courage, huh? Wouldn't you think as a lady it would take courage? She was like, wait, what if this guy wakes up? Apparently she went, bam, and she just, you know, Goes to his temple, he gets up, you know, and then boom, he falls again, you know. But she took care of business, man. It's really cool when you read it. And then what happens next? The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her, Yes, she answered herself. Well, this is probably what's going on. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man, a girl or two, you know, they would rape the girls. For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. I mean, there's his mom, Sisera's mom. She's wondering, what's taking him so long, you know? And all the wise ladies, they're like, well, you know what's going on. They got a couple of girls, they're getting their loot. They would never have ever, have ever imagined that they would be defeated, right? That's the mother of Sisera. But Deborah, she's kind of like a mother figure of Israel. It says that there in verse 7. She arose a mother in Israel. And this mom had who on her side? God on her side. You have God on your side. And it would never happen. It would never happen in your life. It would never happen through your life. It would never happen through my life if it were not for God. But with God, He will give you the desires of your heart. He will use you to the extent that you are broken and to the extent that you believe in Him. Because God is looking. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to Him. God is looking. I pray that when the scan of God crosses over you, that he will find a man or a woman of faith. 
That's what he's looking for. It says right here in verse 31, Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. And I love this. So the land had rest. I love that. For 40 years. You know, I don't know what God's going to do, but man, I pray that through our lives of obedience, that God would do a great, great work. We've got crazy things going on, man. What kind of world are we going to leave to our kids? Stuff like this. We have to rise, you guys. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for your word, Lord, and I, I really want to take it to heart personally, Lord. That no matter what the challenge is, and it could be a relationship that's being challenged, it could be, Lord, uh, uh, just an, an act of faith that you want me to take or, or to wait even sometimes, Lord, whatever it is. Lord, I pray that we would read your word and that we would increase in faith. Your word says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And I really believe that as a result of tonight's study that our faith can be stronger. And so be with my brothers and sisters, Lord. Speak to us. Lord, I pray right where we're at, uh, Lord, so that we would know how great and awesome you are. And we would see you move in a greater way. Lord, we love you. We ask for forgiveness. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, or anyone here tonight, maybe they've drifted away. Lord, that tonight would be the day, that tonight would be the night they would come back to you. Lord, that they would come to you and they would give you their heart. And thank you, Jesus, for dying for us on that cross. Lord, I pray that we would place our faith in you, repent of our sins, and receive you, Christ, as Lord and Savior. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.